The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of The Heat Check, it's a special interview with Mavericks beat reporter Grant Asseth of Sports Illustrated, here to talk about his world tour of basketball that took him from the FIBA World Cup in the Philippines to the Middle East, as well as to answer any and all questions about what the fuck are the Mavs up to this season. We'll also cover some of the most interesting debuts in the preseason, as well as cover any of the news that you might have missed. Gotta get moving, William. Fighting off a migraine. Drop that generic-ass beat right now. That should be Rihanna. Break, we're breaking down all the biggest NBA storylines. You're tuned in to The Heat Check. The Heat Check with Trista Crick. The best podcast covering all the drama around the association. All right, let's start out with some news from around the league. We'll start in the NBA front office, where the league has announced something uh, very cool. Inte Huang, a dude who packed up and moved his family 7,000 miles from South Korea to North Jersey just to pursue his lifelong dream of being an NBA referee. Could you imagine? Like, Scott Foster would never, right? Like, Scott Foster would never move to South Korea if, if South Korea was the, is the hub of, of basketball. Everyone's got to pursue their dream. I just don't know why you would want to move 7,000 miles to be hated by like 450 dudes and then like, I don't know, millions of Americans. This is a guy who's going to be squarely on the ref report this year. He was just named, though, a full-time staff referee for the 2023-2024 season, which is very dope. This is a very funny story in general. Very heartwarming, but very funny. Uh, He has an incredible story that was just covered in the Washington Post by Ben Golliver friend of show. Uh, but the short of it is, uh, he picked up the basketball bug as a kid, got into refing in college, and then worked games in five continents. Me really likes refing uh, before being asked to be <laughs> attend the NBA's refing school in Fort Lee, New Jersey, where he scored high enough marks to get invited to the G League, then the Summer League, and finally the NBA. Like, what? These five continents, beep, just a beep, beep, that's a travel. Uh, one thing the league has done a good job of is diversifying its ref over the past decades. They've expanded internationally as well, and that is now the next logical step. The percentage right now of foreign-born players in the NBA is 22%, so that makes a lot of sense to try to get closer to that in the, in the world, in the realm of NBA referees. I'm going to be looking into Inte uh, for sure more because anyone who 
loves uh, it's like, it's kind of like masochistic is it not like uh, it's just i don't understand it it's tremendous hopefully we're not going to have to cook him for being the south korean scott foster no skits in tay uh no taking money for shaving points either i'm sure on five continents you've learned that uh let's move on let's take a look at some of these preseason debuts shall we starting in houston who are my league pass, 2023 league pass team of the year. OKC is so passe, so last year. It's the Pacers folks and the Houston Rockets playing in the preseason. Dylan Brooks saw his first action in H-Town, and guess what he did? Uh, Dylan Brooks thinks. Can I ask you if things went well? Well, what do you think, baby? It's Dylan Brooks. Uh, How... You know they did not go well. You know they did it. Uh, Dylan Brooks is calling himself Dylan the Villain, and so you must be doing villain things to keep up with that nickname. He got ejected. Tristan, what did he get ejected for? He hit Daniel Tice in the nuts. Yeah. Daniel Tice wasn't even supposed to be playing in the game. All of a sudden, he's got an ice pack on his crown jewels, he wishes he hadn't been playing in that game, I bet. So this is what happened. Tice set a screen at the top of a key. Dylan Brooks went, choppa, and hi-yelled him in the, hi-yada, hi-ya him in the dick. Refs took a look at it, and they were like, all right, you got to go, baby. You got to go. Hit the showers. It hasn't even been one game into the NBA season yet, and Dylan Brooks is back to doing Dylan Brooks things. After the game, Dylan said this, I tried to navigate a screen. I might have tapped him below the waist, <laughs> but he got right back up. So I don't know. It's just weird that every time that happens to me, I think I get picked on. So I guess this is a part of my reputation. This is going to be a very fun season for Ime Udoka and the Houston Rockets to start start figuring out how, how Dylan Brooks is going to play Ime Udoka's defense, stifling defense without getting kicked out every game. I promise you he is going to – Engage in one more nut shot. I promise. He also said this in his post game. What's my name? What's my name? Dylan, the villain. Are we serious with this? Like, are we serious? We're gonna be uh, watching Dylan Penicillin, the villain, uh, all year. We're not done talking about Houston though. Not by a long shot. Maybe it was a good thing that uh, Dylan Brooks got tossed because. Houston had two other players that I wanted to watch very carefully. Cam Whitmore was one. Cam Whitmore was a player that I was loving at Villanova. He was considered to be a top five pick. And then he slides all the way to 20, and people think, oh, maybe it's because his knees are not right. Some people said it's because his attitude is not right. But all I know is that Cam Whitmore has been balling ever fucking sense trying to put the league on notice that hey you guys passed on me so the Rockets end up getting two top five picks in the span of 20 picks that 20th pick by the way was the Clippers uh, that they gave away for I want to say maybe Eric Gordon anyway Cam Wentmore made his debut and he was electric 15 points six for 10 shooting three for four from three four rebounds a steal in 16 minutes he was a plus 21 when no one on the Rockets was better than a plus 14. Is this the Cam Whitmore team? Is this the Cam Whitmore show? 
We talked about why he slipped in the draft, and it's very still in under speculation. But uh, I don't think he has character issues. He's a big boy too. You see him in person, and he's he's very strong looking. Very, he kind of has like a body like Grant Williams, but he's he plays more like a guard. He played under control the whole game. Worked hard on defense. That's the hardest thing for a young player to do. He's gonna be, I think, a real asset for Ime Udoka, and I think Ime Udoka is going to reward him with a ton of playing time. Amen Amen Thompson had his debut, and he had a box score that might, you, might make you think he was just terrible. One for nine from the field. But listen, man, his game's not about scoring. He had nine rebounds. That was leading the team. He had three assists, a steal. He was a plus nine for the game. When you shoot one for nine and you're still a, a positive plus minus in the game, like that just tells you how good you actually are. The mark against him coming into the draft was, of course, his shot, and that uh, that's not that slash line's not dispelling any rumors, folks. He's not a good shooter. He's not. I don't know. I don't know if he's ever gonna be a good shooter. But what's encouraging? Ben Simmons, take notice. Nine shots. He was one for nine. He wasn't. One for four, and he was like, fuck it, I'm going to stop shooting so everyone can stop making fun of me for being a bad shooter. He was like, I'm going to chuck this baby nine times. Uh, for a rookie, that's pretty impressive. Like, I like that. Uh, Rockets aren't counting on Amen Thompson to score 20 a game unless they're all from the free throw line or inside the paint. He's going to be very valuable, contributing in a bunch of other ways. Uh, and if he's patient, he works on finding those shots that suit him. I think he's going to be fine. I like him. He's going to be a good player, as will Cam Whitmore. They are going to be a very fun team. Adding Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Fleet to this squad is going to be very fun. Two connective tissue-type pieces that I think uh, are going to make them shoot up uh, the standings this season. Number two pick, Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller. Paging Brandon Miller uh, saw his first game in the NBA, and it was as delicious as I expected. Struggle bus city. I don't want to like. I don't dislike Brandon Miller. I'm just glad my team dodged a bullet and didn't get him. So it's like a Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan situation. You know what I mean? Only we didn't get fucked. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Eight three three. In 22 minutes, he was three for nine for shooting. This is a guy, though, that was supposed to be a sniper from three, and he was 0 for four. And he had three turnovers. Deer in headlights. Paging, paging Brandon Miller. On the plus side, his uh, his midi, his mid-range, looked pretty good. On the negative side, his spacing was absolutely atrocious, uh, which was an often, often an issue in college. The floor is supposed to get wider, Brandon. Uh... Except for that he could get away with all that shit in college because he was the focal point of the offense and he was so athletic and everybody just moved around him. Considering that I just read an article where Scoot Henderson was called the steal of the draft, I'm, I'm going to guess uh, that is going to be an indictment on the pick of Brandon Miller at two. Don't you think? Will he blossom into some all-star? I, ho- I, actually, I actually hope so. I just don't think he's going to be as good as, as Scoot. A lot of what I saw in 22 minutes was reminiscent of what I saw at Summer League. A lot of skill, bad hips, big holes in his game, and flashes when he actually uh, finds a way to stay locked in. His first Summer League game was a mess, though, but by the end he was playing really good basketball. So I I wouldn't hit the panic button just yet, 
But I do like making fun of him because he's an easy target and I'm cheap. Uh, maybe all is not lost in Miami after all. There's more folks, more players that they find out of nowhere, out of fucking nowhere, like Cole Swider. Cole Swider! I think the Lakers fucking released him for nothing, so they get him. He balls out. Highlighted by two things. Jaime Jaquez. He was rumored to be a part of the deal for Damian Lillard. They did not want to give him to us. Um, the Blazers were were interested in Jaime, but they were interested in a lot of picks and some other players that could contribute right away, and he was not that. But he had 13 points on 5-for-8 shooting, which is definitely something that this team needs. I love Jaime Jaquez. Of other great interest to Heat fans, I am sure, is, like I said, Cole Swider. He's going to be the next Max Struess. I can just feel it. Fuck those guys. An undrafted 6'9 forward out of Villanova and Syracuse. Spent the last year on the Lakers G League team. He he got called up to the real Lakers team too because I remember seeing him. I don't know why I would know his name otherwise because I don't really follow uh, G League players on the Lakers. That would just make me sick. He balled out though. He made Heat fans swoon. He went 5 for 9 from 3 for 17 points in 13 and a half minutes. That feels reminiscent of Max Struess in the Summer League. God damn it. Uh, His pedigree is good. The only team better at extracting value from undrafted players than the Lakers is the Heat. So it was a good idea, Rob. It was a good idea, Mr. Buss. You shouldn't have let him go that soon. You never can get over being dumped by a supermodel, but maybe just maybe getting Cole Swider will help you heal. Let's move forward to Phoenix. The Suns and the Nuggets engaged in a heavy heavyweight fight, even with all of their stars not on the floor. It was super fun, even if Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker didn't play. Athletic dropped its annual think piece on KD, this time about turning 35, which is not really like a reason to create a feature article. <laughs> but hey, whatever. I think we're just reaching very, very much a puff piece. Uh, and it obscured what I think is far more interesting that emerged about Kevin Durant around the same time. According to the New York Post, Durant would have been happy to remain a Brooklynette if only Ben Simmons would have been healthy. Excuse me, what? What? Hold on. Kevin Durant would have been happy to remain a Brooklynette if Ben Simmons would have been healthy. That is fucking wild. Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons was the linchpin of Kevin. He was like, I don't know, man. I don't know if he's ever getting back on the floor. He keeps coming to practice with these multicolored Versace sweaters, and I just can't stand it. Ben, get back on the floor. Help me. Help me. He said that this was true even if and when Kyrie Irving got traded. We never got really too much on what Katie thought of Ben during the time together, but that is an endorsement of, no, no matter how you slice it, really. Kevin Durant is all about winning titles, and if he thought he could win with Ben and Ben was driving the ship, that is a fascinating comment. Fascinating comment. All of that makes Ben Simmons' back issues even more of a bummer uh, for me. Ben's back really did derail the season, but also the entire Kevin Durant era in Brooklyn. That that era of those guys was just kind of one of those things you would have loved to see. For longer. I would have really loved to see Kyrie, KD, and Harden play together for more than, what was it, 22 games? Because they were they were taking the league by storm. They were a machete chopper on everybody that they played. 
And then if you would have gotten a healthy Ben Simmons when Harden got traded, that would have been an interesting dynamic as well. Another one of the great what-ifs in the NBA, just adding another layer of depth to it in a puff piece about Kevin Durant turning 35, which is fucking crazy. We've talked a lot about the expansion on the heat check the past couple of years, and it looks like it might be coming sooner than later. According to Woj, all of Adam Silver's attention right now is on those NBA media rights, baby. Give me those. Give me all that money. Give me that money for that betting. Give me that $75 billion. That's what they're saying it's worth. $75 billion. And when they get it, what are they going to do? They're going to spend it. Oh, yeah, what are they spending it on? They're spending it on teams. New teams. Adrian Wojnarowski says, once the league gets done with these media rights negotiations, the league will start to look towards expansion. Las Vegas, along with Seattle. Thank God Seattle's getting a team back. I love that because they used to, uh, Portland, Portland and Seattle, they used to drive to, uh, to play one another. It's not that far at all. So they used to get into a little bus like AAU players or their cars or their fancy little cars, and then they would go up to Seattle and play. It was the Battle of I-5. I remember one time, I think it was Damon Stoudemire. If I'm wrong and it wasn't Damon Stoudemire, it was probably Rasheed Wallace. One of them got stopped for uh, for weed. They ended up getting pulled over on the way back from a game uh, on the I-5. And they found, I think they found weed inside of like a tinfoil ball. It was just a hilarious story. It's like, why would you travel on a road trip with a, a tinfoil ball of weed? Look up the story. I don't rem- I mean, this is all off the top of my head. So look it up. It was fucking crazy. Anyway, league just getting bigger and bigger every year. I, for one, love it. Two teams on the same timeline, which is great. We'll see who ends up getting that team, whether that's LeBron or whether that's Mayweather. Or maybe they'll do a little collabo. And then on to Europe in the 2030s, which is where I'll go when our healthcare has been stripped of us and we're no longer a democracy. So look forward to that as well. A little end of the week treat for the real ones out there. Today, we're going to have a chat with Grant Afseth. Grant is a writer and a Dallas Mavericks reporter for DallasBasketball.com, SI as well. And then on top of that, the NBA Analysis Network. The dude knows his X's and O's. He was awesome. He spent time as a beat reporter as well from the Indiana Pacers. I mean, he's just been around the league. Just don't, don't, just get on his Twitter and just check his analysis and you'll know he is legit. He's been everywhere. He went to Abu Dhabi with the team. He went to the Philippines with the team. He went to the Madrid with the team. He's just been following around doing his thing. Welcome to the show, Grant. Without further ado, let's get into it. Well, welcome to the show all the way from Madrid, Spain. Yeah, thanks for having me. I look forward to talking about it. You've been uh, a world traveler this summer, huh? Yeah, that uh, I went to the Hall of Fame at first, and then the uh, World Cup, and then yeah, the Global Games with the Mavs and Timberwolves as well. Before uh, yeah, the Real Madrid versus Mavs. So it's been a lot of interesting stuff in the last couple months for sure. What was the I guess most interesting place in all of those? Because it was Philippines, that's Dubai or Abu Dhabi, excuse me, Abu Dhabi, and now Madrid. Yeah, and then with Luca being in uh, Japan for the start of that, I was in Okinawa for like the first two weeks of the World Cup and then the Philippines for like a week. And I thought it was interesting uh, in Okinawa when I was uh, landing there. It was it was like uh, an alert system was talking about uh, North Korean missiles. So like my phone was going off. People were like worried about that. So that, that was definitely an interesting uh, thing for sure. 
Yeah, I uh, I think it's interesting because you said you haven't really traveled before this much around the world, and now you've been pretty much to all of uh, the more exotic places, right? Outside of Madrid, Madrid's a huge city, right, in the middle of Europe, but Abu Dhabi had to have been really interesting situation for you, but also interesting for the team in terms of team building. Like, are these types of trips from what you can gather valuable to build chemistry? Yeah, I think that's been a big message, even from before they left. Uh, they said that it'll be valuable to like, but the long plane ride, Luca uh, has also orchestrated team dinners, both in Abu Dhabi and Madrid. Uh, you know, they also got to see some of his old, I guess you could say stopping grounds and like sightsee and all that stuff. So I think it's definitely uh, helpful for that standpoint. I do think it may potentially make it more challenging for having like that traditional sort of comfortable, like performance uh, element of it. Like you're in different facilities and if you have injuries, it's kind of harder to manage those when you're on the road, especially not in an American uh, sort of setting, I feel like. Uh, so I think that will be something to watch. You know, Luca, you know, he had that uh, that calf strain that uh, prevented him from playing more than five minutes uh, in that Real Madrid game. And then Kyrie Irving has also been out for the last uh, two games as well with a groin or a sore groin, I should say. So, uh, yeah, that uh, I think it kind of makes it a little more complicated to manage those on the fly. Yeah, and I'm sure Luca was super bummed to not be able to play as many minutes as he could in his old stomping grounds. Like, how famous is he there? Yeah, he it was it felt like a Mavericks game to be honest. Like there was tons of uh, like Luca Doncic jerseys. Everyone was just super amped for everything that he did. Even when he just walked on the floor for uh, like the warm up, it was just it was crazy. It was it was a lot of enthusiasm for it. So yeah, it was definitely disappointing just as a basketball like like fan, I guess you could say, just to have like all those people excited for that and then have them play five minutes was kind of anticlimactic, especially like finding out like so close to the game. Like everyone's pooling into the arena and it's like, oh, by the way, Luca's going to play five minutes. Oh, OK. <laughs> like It was kind of like a like a like a suck for the enthusiasm, if you will. It was, it was kind of strange. Yeah. And I'm sure, like you said, because the fact that they're overseas, the training situation is not nearly the same as it is in the United States. So you have to take more precautions. And then that ends up with Luca back in Madrid only playing five minutes. Is that essentially that? Yeah, that's definitely what it seemed like. He was able to use like the Real Madrid like uh, facility that the basketball team uh, uses, uh, like at the days leading up. But uh, I think you know, like his injury kind of happened like the day before the game. Uh, they said uh, he, he like strained the the calf then, and I think there just probably was a combination of not enough time uh, to probably get it ready to go. Um, and I think they're just being ultra cautious as well because I think it's a lot less uh, you know comfortable when you're in a different place. You're playing against players that you don't really play with uh, in the typical season. And you're just trying to be very, like, like especially with this Mavericks team that had injury problems late last year, I think it's probably a little uh, you know, worrisome to to push, if you will, uh, like your, your two superstars for sure. So the, every year, Grant, every year it's like, this guy's in the best shape of his life. This guy's has put on 20 pounds of muscle. This guy's gained, lost 20 pounds of fat. Like Luca has been someone that, kind of not like exactly like Zion, but a little like Zion, where it's if Luca just was more shredded, there's this perception that maybe these injuries would be more preventable. Like where are we at this upcoming season in terms of like where his physical condition is compared to other years? Yeah, I think in general, uh, entering seasons, he's been very like, you know, like very like physically ready. 
you know, like not this like like this uh, season leading up, but the previous season he also had international games uh, mm-hmm. to be able to play. That kind of you know helped to prepare, and I think that uh, definitely has helped him. Uh, there's been a lot of international basketball since COVID hit with the condensed calendar, uh, with the Olympics being impacted starting then. I think the the main challenge, though, is kind of during that long 82-game season. I think this is not even just for Luca, but for some other players that have a hard time with uh, keeping weight down during a season. When those, like, longer road trips sort of start, it's easy to, like, kind of put on weight when you're, like, in five consecutive road games and you've been gone for, like, 10 days, 12 days, things of that nature. So I think that's usually been, as like, I guess you could say the issue because uh, he's entered seasons well. But I think uh, maintaining throughout the full 82 games is probably like a key uh, focus for sure. Interesting. On to this upcoming season, I wanted to have you on because there's a there's a lot of excitement about how the offseason went for the Mavericks. And then obviously that comes on the heels of like a massively disappointing season compared to what it was the year before um, for players, for fans, all of that. But the grades for the offseason with Omax and Derek Lively and Grant Williams, all very exciting. I think you got A's across the board from most people who uh, like to evaluate that. All that being said, what do you think the expectations inside the building are right now for this team? I think they're probably pretty, you know, I, I would say like not like, like an expectation of like championship or bust or anything of that nature. But I do think they feel optimistic about their chances. I think, uh, you know, missing the the play-in tournament is definitely not, like last year is definitely not the expectation. I do think, uh, you know, it all relies on health. They're even saying that, like Jason Kidd's made comments where it's like, as long as we're healthy, and it's a little like concerning, as you could say, since it's preseason and you're kind of already talking about like like superstar health uh, before you even play the first home preseason game. Like that's a little like like something to watch for sure, because, you know, these could be minor things that uh, aren't too big of a deal. Uh, but it's still like it's always a concern because, you know, Kyrie Irving uh, has not played, you know, like the like I think it's been since his last season with the Celtics, if I remember correctly, that he played like over 65 games yeah. or 70 games, something like that. Yeah. So like if you're already kind of having like, Oh, he's sitting out these two preseason games, that's a little uh, like of a red flag, I guess you could say for like the health department. Uh, but I think overall, like there's also a natural like expectation that rookies are going to make mistakes. That's a common line that, uh, you know, Jason Kidd said in his comments when talking about both of the rookies lively and uh, Omax. And I think, uh, you know, they, they really like what they have in Lively, even I think right now, like I think he's been ahead of schedule. That's what they've said as well. And he's actually like last night, uh, Jason Kidd mentioned that he's done everything that they've asked for him to basically be the starter uh, for opening night as well. And that Omax would come off the bench if basically the season was to start today. So I think there's a lot to like about those guys right now. Uh, but I think it will be like they're both raw offensively and it takes an adjustment period for any defender. Uh, entering the NBA. So I think just that'll be a big X factor is just tracking their development throughout a full full season for sure. Yeah, because we saw Walker Kessler come in as a rookie and have an immediate impact, especially after the trade, right? So for you, like what from what you've seen in practice and what you've seen in terms of who you've talked to, what do you think gives you the most hope about this team and what concerns you the most? 
Yeah, I think the concern would definitely be what we touched on is the uh, the health problems sometimes that pop up. Uh, you know, Luca's had some like ankle sprains and things like that in previous seasons. But uh, you know, from the World Cup, uh, you know, time around Slovenia, he did mention that his you know his thigh injury is not okay, and that was something that he brought up like early March, like in New Orleans, like he didn't finish out a game. He sat out the fourth quarter and then he kind of just talked to the media about it. And it's kind of been a storyline ever since. Um, I do think he's like in the last couple of times he's talked about it. He says it's improved, but you know, I think it's kind of like, it's kind of an odd comparison, but like, I guess you could say like with following NFL, like Joe Burrow, like entering a season unhealthy is probably, you're not going to get more healthy playing a full season. If, so it's kind of that's something to keep an eye on. I would say is that lingering thigh issue, and then also the, you know, the calf strain is a new thing, but it's all in the left leg. Uh, so that's you know, I guess not the best uh, situation for you know your heavy usage player to kind of be dealing with those types of things. And then uh, you know for Kyrie Irving, it sounds like it's not like a, a serious issue by any stretch, but it's still like there's like plantar fasciitis he had at the end of last season, and then with a groin injury now that's definitely uh a, like a thing to, to watch is his status like throughout like a full season two but I think what gives me optimism is probably just how coachable and I guess you could say focused the rookies are like they're they're some of the most like professional young players I think I've ever talked to uh like they know their job from day one which I think is kind of a rare thing like you don't really hear rookies who are like 19 and 21 who step in and say I'm going to do the dirty work I'm going to you know learn how to set screens well for Luca and Kyrie. Uh, you don't really hear that that often. So I think, uh, you know, I think that they're definitely someone I would bet on for in-season improvement if they do start off a little slow. Uh, so I think that gives me optimism. I do think, uh, you know, they've added some interesting pieces as well. Like I think Dante Exum's looked pretty solid. Like both, you know, like coming off the World Cup, he was good for Australia and he's continued that in preseason. Uh, Seth Curry gives shooting. He's worked well with Luca in the past. And he's healthy now as well. He had some injuries the last couple of years. And I think, you know, they haven't moved Tim Hardaway uh, Jr. He was in a lot of trade rumors. But, you know, he's someone that was actually one of the more important, like, swing factors, if you will, for them last year when he was hot. That was one of the few things that kind of put them over the top in, like, in-game situations. Uh, so, you know, they have some, like, firepower in that sense. Uh, it just all definitely predicates on those superstars staying healthy because they don't they don't really have the the depth to like say like we're going to put the ball in this guy's hands and we're not going to feel a loss of not having Kyrie or Luca or both. Uh, Jaden Hardy's development uh, is definitely something to watch as well because he's kind of the player they do rely on in those situations. Uh, at least they did last season. Uh, there's more competition in the backcourt this year uh, to keep an eye on with, you know, Curry and Exum, as I mentioned, but last year it was very interesting. Like he went from like Hardy went from a DNP uh, before that New Orleans game that I mentioned with Luca, uh, where he started to talk about that thigh injury. And then he finished out the fourth quarter for Luca. And then he became the first option against the Memphis Grizzlies when Luca and Kyrie were out. And he shot like like a couple consecutive games with like 20 or more field goal attempts. He had like 60 plus in a three game span. So yeah, it's like that's definitely a player. Like his ongoing development will be important to monitor. Like uh, not to ramble too much, but like in summer league, I was out there as well. And they really wanted to focus on his passing reads and, you know, basically getting a, a better feel for controlling the game as an initiator and not just kind of coming off screens and taking tough shots and, you know, just working on basically being more of a point guard. And I think that that 
didn't necessarily have the greatest progress. I think, uh, you know, they were still talking about how that needs to improve. And I think, you know, even as of last night, I think that could have improved when he was relied on to kind of handle things in the fourth quarter against Real Madrid. So I think if he can, if something clicks for him in that, like those areas, I think that would be a very important, like kind of under the radar swing factor as well. Yeah, I agree. I like Jaden Hardy a lot. I love that pickup when they got him. Uh, I think what was interesting last year was this: the defense was so atrocious, and you got rid of DFS, right, Dorian Finney-Smith, and now you've got Grant Williams there. Like, how do you think he impacts what this team can do defensively on top of the two rookies who also want to be able to switch a little bit of everything? Yeah, I think definitely uh, after that trade that you mentioned, like with moving Dorian Finney-Smith – you know, in that Kyrie Irving trade, they like, it was very staggering how small they were. Like, I remember, I think it was like right before the all-star break. I think it was the last game against the Denver Nuggets. Like I, I was there and I was just kind of like shocked at how small they were. Like Michael Porter Jr. is like a good 6'10". Aaron Gordon's very big as well. And then you have Jokic and they had Dwight Powell at the five. They had Reggie Bullock at the four. And then they had Justin Holiday, who's like 180 pounds at the three. Uh, for that game is well he didn't play in that game but they started utilizing him more and then Josh Green is you know like 6-6 as well so that was a very small sort of like three through five to have and that ended up being the case against a lot of teams so then they kind of just started throwing stuff at the wall I guess you could say like playing big lineups like Christian Wood alongside Dwight Powell Maxi Kleba after he you know got healthy and just trying a lot of different stuff and that didn't end up being an answer as well so they kind of, you know, as you said, went to the drawing board and they managed to get Grant Williams. I do like how he he fits. He, you know, he switched a lot with the Celtics. That was successful for them. I think that's ideally what, you know, like, you know, the Mavericks would like to have is that versatile option that can handle multiple positions and kind of stifle those initial actions for opposing teams uh, when they're getting into their offense. And I think uh, that's something they really lacked. Like he's not like the six foot nine wing by any stretch. He's six, six, but he's definitely like, he's like 240 pounds. Like he's got more of that uh, bigger frame. Yeah. He's, he's definitely big. big. Yeah. He's very big and he can handle like those matchups a lot better. And yeah, I just think like there was some regression from some of their guys that they had last season. Like I think Reggie Bullock, uh, like I don't think he was containing the ball nearly as well as he had in the past. And, you know, they're coming off of a Western Conference finals run that took a lot of games and a lot of workload. So I think, you know, maybe there was some regression there from that standpoint and getting different personnel in there uh, definitely is important. And I think, uh, you know, something I forgot to actually touch on earlier was Josh Green. I think that's an important player. Uh, he'll probably start at the three. Um, if I had to like make a prediction right now um, based off what's out there for like, uh, like what the, you know, coaching staff has said and what's kind of happening games. And I think his development, he's improved as a shooter over the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, I think um, you know, they haven't really utilized him too much as a playmaker yet. There's been some times where he's like handled the ball. Luke has been a screener for him. Kyrie's been a screener for him. Uh, but, you know, I think in general, um, just seeing his progression, if he's willing to take, you know, like those tougher contested threes when they come his way, being more comfortable doing that and just making plays in the half court, I think he could really elevate their unit if that happens because he, he has some really interesting qualities. Like he can leave his feet deep on a drive and just make like a, almost like a rugby pass, uh, like from, you know, probably what he played in Australia in the past. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, like elements to that. Like he just can finish through contact as well. Like on the way up, he can just get contact, take, take the contact and finish on the way down. Like just a lot of unique stuff you don't see from role players 
like on the wing that much. So I think if he, you know, if that all comes together, that could be a, a very important factor for their team this season for sure. Yeah, he was somebody that I definitely wanted to ask you about because along the way there were multiple trade, you know, machine type of rumors that went around, right? And every single time it was like Mavs will not include Josh Green in a trade. What is it about Josh Green? Because they haven't yet extended him. He is eligible now. Um, and I think it's the final year of his deal, right? And uh, Yeah, yeah. I think he's got until like, like late October. Yeah, a couple of weeks from now until uh, the deadline for that extension for sure. Right. So uh, the question, I guess, is like, what do they see in him that makes them so reluctant uh, to include him in any of those traits? I think the big thing is that, uh, you know, when you think of the like typical three and D player, uh, he, he has those qualities like we were talking about that are just very interesting. Uh, like he could just blow by a closeout very well. He can you know make passes that you just don't see. Like usually that would end in turnovers by, you know, like a normal three and D wing that got caught doing too much with the ball in their hands. And I think there's been there's more untapped potential with him running like high pick and rolls coming off handoffs. They've experimented with that. Uh, like in this preseason so far as a team, including with Josh Green, playing more out of handoffs and, you know, having more like activity instead of relying on as many pick and rolls. And I think uh, like he just kind of fits in that, in that sort of style where he can just catch, like get the ball, turn the corner and just explode to the rim. Um, like there, if that ends up, you know, like there's a lot of things that are experimental in preseason that don't end up coming to fruition in the regular season, but you know, that could be something to watch uh, related to his impact. But I do think defensively is a big area as well. He actually was like Australia's top on-ball defender uh, during the World Cup, and he's he's wanting to fill that role for the Mavs this season. Uh, like he said, they wanted to have a bigger defensive presence. And, you know, they, they're trusting him to do that. And I think how that transpires with the results will be, you know, definitely interesting to see. Um, I think he's, he's he physically has the tools. I think he's ready for it. Uh, he can really like contain quicker guards, like run around screens and navigate those well. And I think he's got, you know, some, some pretty good, like, like strength to his frame as well to handle yeah. you know, multiple positions. So I think that'll be a, a big factor. Uh, Cause actually like, you know, when you look at their Western conference finals run, Reggie Bullock handled those assignments. Like he was the guy chasing Steph Curry uh, and players like that. And they need someone to fill that void. And I think their best, equipped option would be you know josh green i think that's kind of how they see it yeah uh, of course the like the linchpin of things was going to be always how Kyrie and luca coexisted together right a lot of times it felt like me and then you and then who's going to be the guy to close out games and both were a little too unselfish it felt like at some times it just didn't come together i think like we maybe expected it to or the optimists expected it to how are those two going to coexist and and like how is this chemistry continued to to blossom I guess? Yeah, I think like so far there's been a hindrance in that process because of the injuries with the preseason. Uh you know, they haven't had too much time in like actual real game action together, but there was optimism with training camp and I guess you could say that's kind of the case with all 30 teams in the NBA. Uh you know, the the big X factors are always going your way and everything like that, but you know, I do think that there is like genuine reason for optimism for that. I think their on-court results during like the general flow of the game was very good. Uh, like they're very efficient offensively. And I think, as you said, you know, like the the clutch time situations, that's something they even said as well. Like we were unselfish to a, to a fault 
uh, at times where, you know, they're like, you got it. No, you got it. And then, oh, the clock's running down and, oh, it's a turnover like they, or a bad shot or, you know, things like that. I think uh, those get worked out as you have more you know time to build that continuity together. But, you know, as, we've, as a theme in this whole uh, episode is kind of the availability of those guys. You can't build that continuity until you are on the floor together for long periods of time and you go through those situations with actual margin for error to go through them. Like that must win environment after a trade with near the trade deadline. That's a really high stakes situation where other teams are used to their personnel and you're just figuring each other out. So I think if they actually can manage to stay healthy for this early season stretch, like, you know, the first quarter of games and really like build that sort of familiarity and continuity together, I think that would go a long way. I do think there's also uh, more of a, uh, I guess, like as we were saying earlier about the uh, willingness um, to kind of play with handoffs and things of that nature. I think there could be more flow to the offense that utilizes, you know, like kind of like the, I guess you could say the presence of each other. Um, like instead of having it be your turn, my turn, uh, as it has been at times like last season. So I think those are, those are some important things uh, for them to kind of work through is adding those, those layers to half court offense where they're both utilized and Luca can also get the needed breaks that he uh, you know needs to get. Kyrie did mention like at times post all-star break after that trade that he didn't want to step in and really like kind of just really change everything that they're doing. He wanted to fit in with a team that was, you know, at the time they were fourth in the West when they made the trade uh, and things, you know, obviously unraveled with them missing the playing tournament. But I think with having that kind of clean slate uh, and a new template to kind of work through how they want to approach things, I think it'll be, you know, there'll be opportunity to to handle it the way they want to handle it. What's Kyrie's role as like a locker room guy? Is he going to be more of the the leader now? Like, because you lose Jalen Brunson and Jalen Brunson was reported to be the dude that was like the connective tissue. And it sounds like from kind of what I gathered from what you just said is that Kyrie might have more of a, a vocal role. Yeah, that's correct. I think uh, he's also been very helpful for, you know, as he has in other teams of his career, like with young players uh, as well. Like he, a lot of them, when you ask them about players that have helped them out and things of that nature with like, you know, pointers and just general wisdom and especially these rookies, they they usually will bring up Kyrie Irving. Uh, you know, he, I think he has a lot of passion for passing down knowledge. And I think that's you know, even like, especially with like a guard like Jaden Hardy, like being able to learn from like Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, uh, even by example or whether intentionally with you know on court instruction i think that's definitely a uh, a benefit that they have going for them and i think that's a way he can be a leader but i do think he does have a you know a pretty prominent voice with how you know things operate like i think his his presence on a team that has a lot of key players that are pretty young i think uh, like a lot of the role players are older but like uh i think his presence is definitely valued uh, by all of them like even last year uh, like after Maxi Kleba hit a game winner against the Lakers on the road, like he credited, you know, having that calm presence, uh, like with Kyrie on the court in a game that Luca wasn't basically available to play because uh, of injury. Uh, that was, you know, that's definitely another way that he can make that that impact. And I think they've a lot of those players. I guess you could say they made some changes uh, to the roster where you know they've switched out pieces, but some of those holdover players will probably already have that familiarity with that sort of presence that Kyrie brought. And I think the new players are mostly, you know, I, I guess you say younger that respect him, grew up watching him. And, you know, Grant Williams has a lot of respect for him as well. They were on the uh, players association 
uh, together. So they've already like worked together on things, uh, you know, beyond the game of basketball. Uh, so there's there's some interesting connections there, and I think he's got a, a relationship with Jason Kidd. Uh, you know, Jason Kidd was a, a player that he looked up to as a kid, and he always talks about how you know good their relationship is, and he's someone that he respects a lot. So I think all that pieces together to him being an important presence, you know, for the team as a whole. I, I want to because you mentioned Grant Williams. Is he going to be the guy that brings like levity to the locker room because? Him and Lucas share an agent, obviously, Bill Duffy. But but on top of that, everybody says that Grant Williams is kind of like a clown, kind of a jokester, very vocal, very loud. Even uh, Derek White said, you know, I, we have more peace in Boston now because uh, his voice is gone. Uh, is that w- what we can expect from him too? Yeah, he's he's been very much a vocal leader. Like him and actually uh, Derek Lively are very vocal, like on-court leaders, like calling out coverages and things of that nature. But I think in the locker room, you know, with Lively being a rookie, that's not necessarily the place, uh, you know, to be uh, with leadership. Uh, but with Grant Williams, I think that's definitely where he he fits is that uh, that vocal leader to kind of be a like level-headed, uh, you know, person to kind of keep you know, like, I guess you could say like superstars kind of aligned and, uh, you know, help uplift young players as well and just keep people on the message for what the coaching staff wants. You know, he's, he basically mentioned that he would really like to embrace that uh, and bring that from what he's done in the past. So I think that's definitely where a, an area you can expect uh, him to impact the Mavs. What do you think the Mavs do? Like, where do you think they end up in the standings if you had to guess? I would say probably around like that uh, six six spot. I would say probably around there. And if things don't go well with health, they would probably have to like really battle it out for you know one of those playing spots. I do think that there's just a lot of things where you know we even just the things that we've talked about where it's like if this thing goes well, if this thing goes well, and that one also does go well, then they could do this. Like it's just a lot of things to have go right for you in a in a situation in the NBA where 82 games is a lot for relying on things going right for you uh, all at once. So I think, uh, you know, maybe the following season, they could have a little more uh, predictability where, you know, there's more experience for Omax and Lively and you know what you have in them. And, you know, right now it's a little unpredictable for how they're going to make that impact until you kind of see it in the NBA, like regular season situations. But for all we know, as you mentioned with Walker Kessler, maybe Lively exceeds expectations early, and that really just changes trajectory for things. But uh, as of right now, I would definitely say with all the swing factors, I would say probably the sixth spot is uh, probably a pretty fair like estimation, unless, unless I go through the whole West and I I really think it in detail, and I'm like, okay, I, know, I just man. Man- mentioned 17. The West is so tough, too, because you got OKC in there now. It looks like they're going to take another step, right? So it's just the whole – Utah got John Collins. I don't want to give Utah too much credit, but I think Keontae George could be really good. Obviously, the Clippers, when they're healthy, it's just – the West is tough, dude. The West is is really tough. I, I'm curious about last year. You mentioned not making the play-in tournament. That was like – that was a huge deal in terms of how it all went down. Uh, to to get to the opportunity where you can get Derek Lively and not have to give your first round pick over to the Knicks, is that that's not something that we would see again, right? Because they own their own first round pick. Actually, the theoretically that could be an opportunity because the protection conveys 
through 2025. So, and it's all lottery protected for each of those years. So theoretically, if they were late in a season and they were in that position, they could choose to do that again. But that, that, uh, with, with Luca wanting to win, that's that, yeah, that's a, a tough, a tough thing to, you know, bounce back, uh, with all this optimism of off season moves and then be like, Oh, by the way, uh, it's lottery time, you know, like that'd be very challenging. We saw how that worked with Damian Lillard, right? When they shut him down and ended up, you know, Blazers got scoot and immediately asked for a trade. Is that, does that loom over this team at all? Like from what you can gather is, is Luca's happiness, something that's constantly in the minds of those who make decisions. Yeah, I do think that uh, they're very cognizant of it. I think you could see as well with like uh, you can also just actions are the best like kind of indicator as well. Like you could see that they moved a twenty thirty pick swap for Grant Williams in that three team sign and trade. And I don't think you really like move a twenty thirty pick swap and then a twenty twenty nine first for Kyrie Irving and things like that. If you're not really like feeling the like we have pressure to win now. And I think the stakes get elevated as well when, you know, he's used to winning uh, coming from Real Madrid and then you have a Western Conference Finals run. And it's like, how do we go from Western Conference Finals to champions? Uh, well, you went from Western Conference Finals to playing, like missing the playing tournament. Like that's that's a, a big high and a big low or a low low, I should say, uh, to have kind of simultaneously. So I definitely think another season of that would be very concerning uh, for sure. Definitely stuff to keep in mind. All the way from Madrid, Grant SF, thank you so much for your time. We will definitely do this again. We're going to check in because, man, I think that the Mavs are one of the most fascinating teams because it could go really, really well or it could go off the rails pretty quick, and I think everybody kind of knows. Yeah, it's there's a lot of, of what-ifs for sure, many, many what-ifs. Thanks so much for joining me, man. I'll let you get some sleep or uh, get some dinner or whatever is coming next for you in Madrid. <laughs> Enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's all the time that we have for this episode of the Heat Check. Many thanks to Grant Afseth. We learned a ton about the Mavericks. He's also kind of pessimistic about them. So that tells you pretty much everything that you need to know. Marquise, baby, I did this for you. What do you think now? I had a dispute with my one of my good friends, and he thinks the Mavs are for real. So I had to have Grant on just to prove him wrong. That's how fucking petty I am. Come back later this week for an all-new episode. Check out the feed for past episodes and mini-episodes, which drop unexpectedly. And follow the Heat Chef check as we head into an all-new NBA season. Do not forget to download, subscribe, and tell your friends. And follow us on social, at this Heat Check, and at Trista Crick on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you Monday. 